Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to gather with your people, that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has gathered a people for himself, and even here at Dremoyne this morning, that we have brothers and sisters in which we can fellowship with as we come to you, the living and true God. Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts as we look to our great high priest this morning and the work that he has done. Lord, we pray that we would consider him anew. We pray that we would love him all the more as a result of gathering here this morning. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I think we recognise that in this world, where you go into certain places demonstrates a status that you hold. We know that there are many doors in this world, but some of them are closed to certain people. Uh, Generally, the rabble are closed off from going into certain places, but privileged people are able able to enter into sanctuaries that are cut off from other people. I remember one of my first experiences of being able to go in somewhere where other people were not allowed was when my school had an excursion into the city, and at one point, the bus on the way back stopped for a brief time and we got out and looked at the state library and all the children were able to get out and look at the New South Wales State Library here in Sydney but only a select few were allowed to go into the Mitchell Library reading room which is very different it's a much older part of the building and if you've ever been there people are looking a bit blankly at me this morning so maybe you haven't uh, if, but it is a very special place it is a, a immense hall with books lining the walls ladders going up the shelves and it's very quiet in there in comparison to other parts of the library and so only a select few people were allowed to go into that room only a f- select few students school students were allowed to go and I was one of the ones that was chosen. I was then seen to be superior, well at least I was in my eyes, that I was a well-behaved child that was allowed to go into this special part of the library with the teachers and we looked in and we were told to be extremely quiet when we went in and to have a look around at this special place. This morning, we're going to be coming back to a part of God's Word that we've studied in detail in the past, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. And we've come to chapter 8. We've taken a break for about a year. We've finished at chapter 7. And now we've come to chapter 8. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus again as the book of Hebrews is just so wonderful in exalting Christ and showing how how glorious he is. And this morning's subject in chapter 8 and verses 1 through to 5 are looking at Jesus again, but looking at where he has gone, which demonstrates his privileged position. We recognize that certain places, if you are able to enter them, demonstrates that you are privileged, that you are superior to people around you. And that is what the author of Hebrews is trying to make clear here in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through to 5. But we should just sort of summarize a little bit of what we have learned about Jesus from the chapters that have come earlier and also chapter 7, which we looked at, for those of you who haven't read it since maybe, it would be about 12 months ago. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, the author actually summarizes a little bit of what we have learned. 
He says in verse 1 of chapter 8, I encourage you to have it open before you, page 1188 in the Black Church Bibles. If you don't have it open before you, I can guarantee you're probably going to get a little bored, at least for the first half of the message. Open up your Bibles to 1188, page 1188, and chapter 8, verse 1, we read, the point of what we're saying is this. What has he been saying? What is the point? Well, he then says, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. What is the point of what he's been saying? The point of what he has been saying up to this point is that we have a great high priest. And chapter 7 has emphasized again and again that Jesus is a superior high priest. We understand that priests are people who serve on our behalf to God. In the Old Testament in particular, there were Levitical priests, priests of the tribe of Levi, who offered sacrifices for the Israelites so that they would be right with God. But the author of Hebrews is wanting to make clear that Jesus is a far superior priest to those priests of the Old Testament. And he has given testimony after testimony, point after point, demonstrating that Jesus is superior to them. And even in the verses that have immediately come before chapter 8, demonstrate this. How is Jesus superior to the priests of the Old Testament? Well, he's superior to them because of who he is, because of who he is. And there's three points that are made from verses 23 down to verse 28 that demonstrate Jesus' superiority of who he is. We see that Jesus is superior in person because he is an eternal being. He lives forever, whereas the priests of the Levites, they die. Verse 23 reads of Hebrews chapter 7, page 1188. Now there have been many of these priests, that's the Old Testament priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. What's their problem? They keep on dying. So we have many of them. Verse 24, but because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood. Why is Jesus superior? Because he lives forever. Why else is Jesus superior to the Old Testament priests? Well, it's because he is holy. He is sinless. And verse 26 demonstrates that as well. We read in verse 26, Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. What's the problem with the Old Testament priests? They sin. So that, what, what does that mean? They have to offer sacrifices for their own sins repeatedly because they repeatedly sin. Whereas Jesus is far better because he does not sin. He does not need to offer sacrifices for his own sins. And we also see that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament priests because his priesthood is founded on an oath and not the law. And that's shown for us in verse 28 of chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 28 we read, For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. And we've looked at that previously. If you want to know uh, more about that, the sermons were recorded. You can go online and listen to them. 
it's so better, it's so far better that Jesus is a priest founded on an oath. And we will actually unpack that in weeks to come as it comes up again in chapter 8. So this morning, we've seen that Jesus is a superior priest because of what it says in, Rome, uh, in Hebrews 7, that he's an eternal being, that he's sinless, and that his priesthood is founded on an oath. But then the author wants to draw out another point about how Jesus is a superior priest, and that is because of where Jesus serves. Where Jesus serves demonstrates that he is a priest that we should have as our priest. So where is it that Jesus ministers? Where is it that he goes? Well, we read in this passage that it is that he serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. He serves at the throne of heaven. He serves in heaven, which is a far superior place to serve, particularly when you compare it to where the Levitical priests serve. Where do the priests of Levi serve? Where do the Old Testament priests serve God? Well, they serve at a sanctuary made by Moses. We understand that from the Old Testament that God had given commands to Moses as to where the priests should serve. And they built this sanctuary. There's all detailed instructions given, and we read some of those this morning. That's only a portion uh, that I Uh, I had read aloud by Angelo for us this morning. If you would like to know more about the tent of meeting and the tabernacle, the sanctuary that God prescribed for the Levites to serve in, then Exodus, the end of Exodus, is a very good place to turn to. The end of Exodus is where some people start to stall in their Bible reading programs. If you get all excited about reading the Bible from cover to cover, you start off in Genesis, it's all good, and then you get into Exodus, and yes, um, it's very interesting with the Israelites being taken out of Egypt, but then all this instruction starts to be given about how the priests are to behave and what they are to do, and it really comes to a crunch after the law is given in Exodus chapter 20, and then all this information about a tabernacle, and curtains and fashionings on an Ark of Covenant and people go, why am I reading all this? Well, it's there for you to understand that this is what God required of priests in the Old Testament. This is how people served God in the Old Testament. But a far superior priest has come and he goes to a far superior place. The tent of meeting was where the Israelites were required to meet God where sacrifices were to be made. But a far superior place is where Jesus has gone, and that is the one that is in heaven. And we read that in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 8. The point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. We understand that Jesus has a far superior priesthood because he serves in a sanctuary in heaven. And heaven is always classified as a far superior place to any place that is on earth. Think of the most majestic place that you can consider on earth. Maybe it's Buckingham Palace, which I've never been to, but I imagine it's very nice. Very nice inside. But we would recognize that going to heaven would be far better. Heaven is always the place that we look to as a wonderful place 
that surpasses anything that we can have here on earth. Why is heaven superior? Well, one fact is that it's an eternal place. It is a place that God has set up, as opposed to many of the places that are set up here on earth. They're set up by men. And that's what the point is uh, of verse 2. It says, And who serves in the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord. The one in heaven is far superior because the Lord has made this sanctuary. And it is not done by man, as verse 2 points out. We recognize that things made by man are not eternal. Even great monuments that have been set up by Caesars in the past, by men with great power, they crumble. There's arches that are there maybe or a coliseum, but much of what they have set up has decayed and has disappeared and what is still left needs repairs, needs to be looked after and cared for or it will collapse. Whereas what is set up in heaven doesn't decay in that way. We also recognise that things made here on earth are subject to error in construction. No matter how good a builder you are, Make mistakes, generally speaking. And so we recognise that whatever is set up in heaven, if it's set up by the perfect God, then it must be far superior to anything that is set up here on earth. And of course, one of the great things about heaven being superior to earth is that that is where God himself is. God himself is in heaven. Yes, he said that he would be present in the earthly tabernacle, But he also says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of place can you build for me? The real dwelling place of God is in heaven. And so Jesus has gone into a far superior place. It's an eternal place. It's a place without error. It's a place that's much more comfortable than the places here. It doesn't matter how nice a place you make here on earth. There's always going to be times where you're uncomfortable in it where you're going to say, oh, my air conditioning isn't working at the moment, or my seats have started to wear out. We're looking at our couches. They're 10 years old now. We've been married for 10 years. And they're starting to, the continual sitting, our weight on them, starting to take the padding out. It's not as comfortable as they used to be. We remember when they first came, you wanted to sleep on them. But that's the way of things of this world. Whereas the things of the next world, the things of heaven, are far superior And so Christ is shown to have a superior priesthood because of where he has gone. And it shouldn't really surprise us that Jesus doesn't serve here on earth because he's not qualified to be a priest here on earth. The priests who are qualified to be here on earth are from the tribe of Levi. And that's what is said to us in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 8. Look with me at verse 3. It says, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Then verse 4 comes, if he were on earth, so if Jesus was on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. There is no place for Jesus to be a priest here on earth because there's already men who are appointed by the Lord to offer gifts prescribed by the law. Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi. The Bible is clear that he is of the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. And But kings of Judah cannot go into the earthly tabernacle because that was for Levites. There's an example in the Old Testament of one king who desires to go in. He thinks he's a big shot. 
that God loves him very much and he decides, I'm going to go into the temple, into the sacred place where only Levites are meant to go. I'm of the tribe of Judah. I can go in there. He goes in and what happens to him? The other priests are saying, the priests are saying to him, you shouldn't be in here. It's not right. It's not right. And then they look at him and what has happened? He breaks out in leprosy. God punishes him and he has leprosy for the rest of his days, which means he's not allowed to enter into the other parts of the temple where he used to be able to go into the temple. Why does that happen? Because he is part of the tribe of Judah. And the tabernacle on earth is only for those who are of the tribe of Levi. You can read more about it this afternoon if you don't remember that on Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles 26. That's what happens if you're part of Judah and you go into the earthly tabernacle. And so Jesus could not be a priest here on earth because there are already men from the tribe of Levi who serve in that way. But we also see that the sanctuary, the place where Jesus ministers, is superior because it is the true sanctuary. It is the true sanctuary. And that's shown to us in verse 4. Oh, well, verse 2, I should say. In verse 2, we see that it says there, and he serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. And then in verse 5, we learn that the earthly sanctuary, the place where the tribe of Levi serves, is really just a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. What does it say in verse 5? They, that's the earthly priests, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The Jews exalt their earthly tabernacle. But what is it in reality? It's just a shadow. It's really based on what is actually in heaven. That's why Moses received instructions as to how to make it, and it said to him, make sure you make it exactly the way I say, because it's meant to be a replica of what is in heaven. But then when we understand that what's on earth is a replica, we understand that that's inferior. It's like the tabernacle here on earth is this little architect's model of what is really the reality the true tabernacle that is in heaven. And so is Christ a superior priest? Of course. He's not serving at the little architect's model. He's serving at the true sanctuary, the one that is in heaven. And so Jesus is a far superior priest to the priests of the priests of Levi because he serves at a sanctuary that is in heaven. He serves at a sanctuary that is the true one, whereas the one here on earth is simply a pattern, a shadow, a copy of what is in heaven. So what does this all mean for you today? might be a bit over your head, like, what do I care about the earthly tabernacle? What do I care about the heavenly tabernacle? Well, the original readers of this, this would have been very profound for them. Because they were thinking of going back to Judaism. They were thinking that Jesus was all good, well and good for a time, but now that we're actually starting to suffer for being Christians, we might actually go back to Judaism. We might go back to the temple and offer sacrifices there. Because 
Maybe Jesus isn't worth following after all. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look at what you're doing. If you go back to that earthly tabernacle, if you go back to the temple, you're going back to a little replica of what is really in heaven. You're ignoring the great high priest, the superior priest, for an earthly priesthood, for a faulty priesthood, ultimately in comparison to Jesus' true priesthood. And so he's saying, don't go after earthly sanctuaries and earthly priests. Go for the heavenly sanctuary and the heavenly priest, who is Jesus Christ. But sadly, many people still do this. Jews are still fighting for that sanctuary that they would like to have in Israel and have their priests from Levi serving there in that sanctuary in, comp- in competition with what Christ has done in going into the heavenly sanctuary. But so many religions love to do this. They love to have earthly sanctuaries with earthly priests and they follow them rather than following the true priest who serves in heaven. You look at the major religions of the world. And you start to see that they really exalt sacred places. Look at Hinduism and Buddhism. One of our elders has recently been to, to Thailand and seen Buddhism in all its glory. Seeing the temples and how people exalt certain sacred spaces. And they're following the priests who serve in those countries in those particular sacred places. And what are they doing? They're missing out on the true sanctuary where Christ serves. Look at a religion like Islam. What does it have? It has its Mecca. One of the five pillars of Islam, what are you supposed to do? In your lifetime, you're meant to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Why are they doing that? They're exalting a sacred place here on earth when the sacred place is in heaven where Jesus serves. Even those who call themselves Christians can be in danger of making sacred places here on earth with their own sacred priests. Look at the religion of Roman Catholicism. They have their sacred places, their sanctuaries. They call the table at the front an altar. They believe that they're offering a sacrifice there when they have the mass together, that it's the body and blood of Jesus that is being offered there. And they have their priest who serves there and makes the sacrifice there at the altar in the special sanctuary. And millions of people follow them as they serve in that way. I'm sorry if you're a Roman Catholic friend that you're here this morning. I love that you're here. But this is what they teach in competition with what the Bible teaches. There's a far superior priest and he has gone into a far superior place. He is in heaven itself, the sanctuary that is the true sanctuary. We can't compete with that. How dare we try and make a sacred place here on earth in competition with the sanctuary that is in heaven? And other cults do this as well, like the Mormons. They have their special temples where you're only allowed to go if you are a Mormon, the sacred place, and you've got to wear the special uh, undergarments, the special linen that they give you. They go and they make a big deal of these sacred places here on earth. 
And even Protestant churches can start to say, this building is our church and this is a special place. And it's not true worship unless we're in the church building as opposed to in a hall or as opposed to in the fields. If you haven't got anywhere else to meet, we start to exalt church buildings. And what are, that, what are we doing then? We're competing with the true sanctuary in heaven. Now, that may not be much of a problem for you. You may not be attracted to Islam. You may not be attracted to Buddhism and Hinduism. You may not be attracted to Judaism. You may not be attracted to Roman Catholicism and other cults that make much of sacred places. But I think we have to remember that we are always being attracted to other sacred places that the world offers, and they infiltrate us so easily if we aren't careful about it. What am I talking about? What other sanctuaries are here in this world that people are attracted to worship at? One example would be a football stadium. How many people consider a football stadium a sacred place? And they have their own priests serving in the football stadium. They're gods, so to speak, who run around on the field down there and have tremendous abilities and so much time and effort and even prayer for them that they will win. Isn't that a form of a sanctuary with priests serving in it, in competition with the true sanctuary that is in heaven, where Christ serves? Other examples may be, what about gyms? I'm really attacking the physical fitness people today. But gyms, how many people are religious in the way that they go to their gyms and they consider their gyms to be sacred spaces and their priests there are their own physical body as they look at themselves in a mirror? Or other people who have far superior bodies to them, who are the motivation by which they then hopefully will one day be qualified to be a priest in that sacred sanctuary. Is it just me that thinks that? What about our living rooms? Are they sacred spaces where our television set is our priest? Where whatever the television says is gospel? And we don't like people coming and interrupting us in our living rooms or cinemas, sacred space. When I want to have joy, when I want to feel alive, I go to the cinema and the actors, my other little gods, are there, these profound people who can say such marvellous things and I'd love to speak like them without realising that they're all scripted by other really intelligent people who can't act but can write really well. It's a combination of many factors that makes those people appear on those screens as so wonderful. But can't cinemas be sacred places for people? I remember as a teenager, I loved to go to the movies. I'd go to the movies at least a couple times a week. I'd go by myself. Just loved it. Was it becoming a sacred place for me? What about shopping centres? Are they sacred places for some people? Retail therapy, going in. I love certain shops. Other shops I disdain because this is my temple. This is where I worship. Where I know certain people or certain shops, they are my priests who serve in there and help me to find pleasure in life. Another idol that we can have, another sacred space that we love, can be our kitchen and our dining table. Or maybe a restaurant or cafe with one barista who is your priest, who is the only one who can really intercede for you and make you alive. Or one particular chef that you love and you go to his restaurant, his sacred place, whenever you need to find satisfaction in life. Maybe it's your workplace that is your sacred place. 
How many people have a God of work? And their priests are their employees, their work colleagues, their boss. You may not like to think of your boss as a priest, but how much do you serve him so that you will be able to advance in that sacred place? Maybe it's your library, although that's probably just me. (laughs) Sacred place with a special chair and lots of books. The books are your priests. And that is where you find satisfaction in life. That is where you find fulfillment. Maybe it's your computer, where you're in charge, where you have power, where you can go anywhere in the world on the internet. Or maybe you've set up a sacred space of your Facebook page. And you post things there that show you as the great high priest of that page. And you are exalted above all other Facebook people because you have so many friends. And and everything that happens in your life seems so wonderful. Whereas other people, they have miserable lives in comparison to yours. And it's only this perception that's shown because, of course, you never post things that are miserable about you. You only post the good things on your Facebook page. I think there are many sacred spaces around this world with many different priests who compete for our attention. And I'm not saying some of these things that they're wrong in themselves. We've got to eat. We've got to work. We've got to go to the shops. It's good to have physical exercise. It's good to be entertained. But we have to remember that these things can become false worship. The Jewish sanctuary, remember, was not wrong It was not wrong for the priests to serve there. God told them to build the tabernacle and serve there. But it was only meant to point people to the far superior priest who serves in heaven, Jesus. And so the good things that we experience in this life, the sacred spaces that I've just mentioned, if they are good and real things, then Ultimately, they're meant to be received from the Lord and meant to point us to the true home, to the true place, to the true sanctuary, where we will indulge in food, yes, but it will be far superior to anything that a chef can make here in this world, where we will indulge in entertainment that is far superior to any entertainment that we can have here. We have to remember that these sacred spaces that we have in this world are merely shadows. And what's a shadow? It's nothing. Why would you hunger after a shadow when the reality can be had, when you can look forward to the true thing? See, if you embrace a sacred space here on earth, what are you doing? It's like a builder has got an architect's model there. Really nice model, let's say. And he's then built it. He's built this brilliant house based on the model. And he has the keys ready to give you. And you say, no thanks, I'm going to live in the little model. Even though I can't really fit in it. That's what I'm going to have. I'm going to marvel at it, look at it, glory in this little model that the architect has made. When the builder has the keys to the real thing. Or you're just embracing the shadow of a lovely house. The builder is standing there offering you the keys and you're saying, no, I really like the shadow. I love how it makes a pattern on the ground. looks really good. I can see a nice spiky bit there from where there's a parapet that's going up. I really like the shadow. I think I'll, I'll settle for the shadow, thank you. That's what you're doing. If you do not have Jesus 
as your high priest, serving at the true sanctuary, where you will go one day and be with him. Yes, the things of this world are lovely and good, but they can be made to be sacred places where we start to worship at their feet. And we have to be so careful of that. We're meant to be setting our eyes upon heaven, the only place that really matters. And that's what Colossians 3 verse 2 says. The Apostle Paul says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. What's your mind meant to be set upon? Things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And where is Christ? He's in heaven. So where should your mind be? It should be considering the things of heaven because that is where true joy, that is where true satisfaction can come in this life and, of course, in the next. So if you're not a Christian, I encourage you, come to Christ today. Have him as your high priest. Do not neglect him. There is no substitute for Jesus. Any substitute that you have in this world at best is just a shadow Christ is the reality. Christ is the true priest in the serving in the true tabernacle. Come to Jesus today. Repent of your sins. Trust that Jesus died for you and now serves you in the heavenly sanctuary, which is a far better place than any place here on earth. And if you are a Christian, don't forget to keep your eyes on your heavenly priest. As you go about your life, it's so easy to get your eyes focused on other things. And sometimes it's worth noticing that you have your head back in the gutter when you should be looking and focused on the things of heaven. We need to continually train our eyes to focus on Christ, our great high priest who is in heaven, who has sat down at the throne of the majesty in heaven. That is where our eyes are meant to be focused. Be worthwhile even this afternoon. Got a Lord's Day before you. Hopefully you're not working this afternoon. Spending some time considering who is your priest? Where is your sacred place? Now you may be saying, oh, I'm pretty sure it's Jesus. Well, I'll give you a good diagnostic question for knowing where your sacred space is and who your priest is. When you suffer, when you have some sort of pain in your life, some sort of sharp distress, where do you go? Is it the fridge? Is it the television set? Is it the shops? Is it the football stadium? Where do you want to go when you experience pain? It should be to Christ, the one who serves at the true sanctuary. Now, if you think that none of these things are a problem for you, there's another step that you can do. Ask someone around you. Say, I was, asked in, I was told in church this morning to ask someone that is close to me, someone who knows me really well, what they think is my sacred space and what they think is my high priest. And if they're close to you and honest with you, they may just be able to tell you that you're actually a workaholic or a shopaholic or a foodaholic or a gym junkie. 
they may have seen something in your life that you don't see. That your sacred space is not heaven and Christ. That it's something inferior. And that should be a word of rebuke that you accept from the Lord. Not from that person. Don't get angry at them. Listen to what they have to say. And take that as a rebuke from the Lord about where your allegiance actually is. My hope is that we all have Christ as our priest, our great high priest, who has gone into heaven and who we hope one day we will join and get satisfaction from in the eternal time that we spend in heaven, but also in our time here on earth. Let us pray. Let us speak to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how your word boldly tells us about the superiority of Jesus Christ, that all earthly priests are merely a shadow and all their earthly sanctuaries are merely a copy of what is in heaven, that everything that is in heaven far surpasses any of the realities here in this world. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand where our sacred spaces are. And Lord, we pray that we would demolish them and only have Christ serving at the sanctuary in heaven as our sacred place. May that be the place where we find true satisfaction, where we find true joy. And may we then enjoy the things of this world, not as an end in themselves, but as something good, as things good that have been granted from you to us to remind us of yourself and the glories that await us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.